First thing I'd like to say to you today, today uh, the significance of today, Happy Reformation Day. There it is. 498 years ago, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed to the Church of Wittenberg the 95 Thesis. This is Reformation Day. And in fact, two years from now, um, two years from now, it'll be the 500th anniversary. And I'm hoping we have a wonderful celebration here. We could all dress up like Martin Luther and maybe set up a beer garden. Oh, never mind. That's a bad idea. Um, but it, it really is a big, big deal um, that it is Reformation Day. And, you know, the, everybody thinks that it was a thesis that started the Reformation. It was not. It was a thesis that was the ember that started the raging fire of the Reformation. What started the Reformation, and something we should never forget as Protestants, is Luther's position on justification. The Catholic Church said to him, Martin, how could you say that people who are sinners are justified? That's insane. That's, a, that's absurd. They have to go to confession. They have to confess to the priest. Then they get clean. Then they're justified. Then when they sin, they're not. Then when they go to confession, they are. Then when they sin, they're not. And they spend their whole life like that and hope they die in the right spot. Um, and Luther said the following, Simul Ustus et Pegador. You all know what that means, right? Um, it actually, it's in Latin, but it means simul at the same time. Ustus, justified, et and pegador, sinner. At the same time, justified and sinner. That is what started the Reformation. And we have to remember that always in our walk with Christ, that we are at the same time justified and sinners. Praise God for that truth. You know, I love the Reformation. I could probably talk about that all day, but I'm not supposed to today. Um, I've covered that a couple times. Today's sermon is called The Peter Principle, and it's about the Apostle Peter and his life. Now, The Peter Principle is an interesting thing. We are um, doing a Tuesday night small group at Carroll Mountain's house, and we're reading a book called The Holiness of God. It's a great book, and as we're going through it, well, it, it, in that book, it kind of started talking about the Peter Principle and then went on to Peter, so of course I ran with that for my sermon. But the Peter Principle says this. The Peter Principle is a book that was written in the 70s, and it's an expression used in corporate America all over now. And it suggests the following, that corporations, especially large corporations, always promote people beyond their capabilities. So um, if you do well in the mailroom, we'll move you in charge of the warehouse. Or, and, and you always find, end up getting to a position you don't belong because you're not competent for that position. It's called the Peter Principle. Well, we're going to see today that Peter was certainly the guy that suggests that principle is accurate because he didn't belong anywhere near where he would from the world's eye, where he ended up. But I was trying to think of the best illustration to explain the Peter principle, and it finally hit me like a ton of bricks. Michael Scott is the perfect image of the Peter principle, a guy elevated and... and put in a position he did not belong in. He was, uh, he was a salesman in the old bullpen, as you recall, and in the old bullpen he did well and they, they moved him up. So that, that is the Peter Principle, but the Peter Principle we're gonna talk about today is the Peter, of the, the Peter of Jesus' apostles. We talk a lot about this boisterous guy who had, you know, who was close to Christ and he was very, very significant in the early church. In fact, 
There's three disciples in the early church, or three apostles in the early church that really ran with it, that really stepped out ahead. And you try to figure out which one of those guys you could connect to. Well, there, there, it was Paul, John, and Peter. Paul, nobody could identify with him. Maybe a couple of the really smart people here can. But Paul earned two PhDs in theology by the time he was 21. Paul was brilliant. He was tasked to write God's theology in the New Testament. I can't identify with Paul, and I'm, only a couple of us out here probably could because that's just brilliance beyond anybody's comprehension. Then you have John. John was the youngest disciple and youngest apostle, and he was quiet, and there's really no dirt on him in the Bible, and he's kind of hard to identify with too. But Peter, Peter we can identify with. Peter was one first-class knucklehead. And he, he, he would always bumble and stumble and speak without thinking and think without speaking. He, he was just a mess. Yet Jesus loved him dearly. Now, Peter's impact on Christianity cannot be overstated. Not only was he one of the early apostles and one of the early church leaders, but he's also essentially one of the writers of the Gospels. The Gospel of Mark, theologians and scholars will tell you, should be called the Gospel of Peter written by Mark. Um, the, when, they, when the council sat down to start putting together what would go in the Bible and what would not, they said, they used a term called apostolicity. And apostolicity said the following, you either had to be an apostle or connected to an apostle. So Matthew and John of the four Gospels, we get that, they're apostles. Luke and Mark were not apostles, right? But who was Luke connected to? We all know this one, right? Paul. He was Paul's companion. Luke was tied at the hip to Paul. So that's how Luke got in. Mark's apostolicity is Peter. And again, the Gospel of Mark is nothing more than a firsthand walk with Jesus from the eyes of Peter. So Mark just wrote what Peter told him. Now, um, the Gospel of Mark is very significant in a lot of ways. It was by far the first Gospel written. And you could almost see Peter and his impulsiveness. Come on, Mark, write this down. I got some stuff I got, some, got to tell you about. And there is a thing called, you know, we call the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels. And the reason they're called the synoptic Gospels is they cover the same stuff. And now, you could talk for days about this, and scholars have talked for centuries about it. There is a couple of concepts, because Mark was first, and there was two other, the other two, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all cover the same stuff. So it's believed either um, Luke and um, Matthew and Luke used Mark as a, as a form and a format in a text to use, or there was a third source they all relied on called the Q source, but then you start going in the weeds too far and it gets crazy. But one thing that cannot be disputed, Mark was first and um, Matthew and Luke copied much of what was in there or used it as a format. So when you think about that, Peter really becomes even more significant. Now, the Peter principle really does apply. Okay, of all the people on the planet, why Peter? Peter would be 
somebody as unqualified as we ever could uh, come up with in our own, if you sat down and said, who would I use to be one of the founders, the core guys of the first church? Would it be Peter? And the answer is that's a resounding no. Bible tells us that Peter was a fisherman from Galilee. That says a lot. First of all, a fisherman. A fisherman is, you know, I got to take this time to thank Doug. I gave him a, a disaster of PowerPoint presentation. All of a sudden, it looks like this beautiful thing. Uh, something magical happened when it got to Doug. So thank you, Doug. Um, but he was a fisherman. Fishermen were vile, crass. They would swear. They, they were not polite. They were uneducated. They were physical. And they were just rough, gruff guys. And Peter was no exception to that. Now, note in the background the boat. That is a great depiction of the fishing boats they use in the Sea of Galilee. Those are the boats where they were in the storms and those kind of things. That, that boat right there. So you can see, you know, when Jesus was on the boat, we, we think of these larger seafaring things. That was it. So you could see how intimidating that could be to be in a storm in that thing. Now, he was also not only a fisherman, but he was from Galilee. And Galilee was not a favored area. It was rebellious. Um, they had a unique accent. So if you were thinking about picking a guy to lead your church, you would never pick a fisherman, first of all. And by the way, there's at least four or five of the apostles were fishermen that Jesus picked. And you certainly wouldn't pick one from Galilee. Now, the next question is, when did Peter, when and how did Peter meet Jesus? The Gospels are not written in chronological order. And going through the Gospels, you have to kind of try to figure out by piecing, you know, through circumstances when things happen. Well, we get a pretty clear picture of when John and um, when John, when he was John the Baptist's follower. And that's found in the book of John, chapter 1. The next day, again, John, that's talking about John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. That is very significant to the Jewish people because the lamb was always a symbol of the sacrifice of the Messiah. And when John called Jesus the lamb of God, you know, that, that was John's point where he said, I must decrease so he can increase. This is the time. The two disciples heard him saying this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? You know, that's not responsive to his question, is it? But go ahead. Um, he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him of the day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, we're going to hear about who's whom. One of the two heard, this is uh, Matthew, um, excuse me, John 1, starting at verse 46. One of the two heard Jesus speak and followed Jesus and was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his brother. Now, the first thing Andrew did was go look for Peter. He first found his brother Simon, who was called Simon at this time, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, this is pretty significant stuff because... Um, they were followers of John the Baptist. Andrew and Peter were followers of John the Baptist. So they were already tuned in. They were already on the Christian trail. 
And now they've transitioned over to Jesus, and you know, Jesus lays eyes on him and says, you are Peter, you are now Peter. So now he's a disciple, but he's not yet an apostle. An apostle is somebody that's sent out, that's a follower of God. So the next thing we have is, um, the next thing we have is the scene where Jesus selects Peter as an apostle, and I'll set the scene up for you. Jesus comes down to the Sea of Galilee, and Peter had been fishing all night. Peter had been fishing all night and had caught nothing. And the reason he fished all night is that's what they did. They would go into shallow water, they'd let their nets down in the dark where the fish couldn't see them, grab the fish and come home. He got out, he had to wash his nets, he'd been up all night long, it was a miserable day at the office because he caught nothing. And um, Jesus came down and started preaching to the people, and he asked Peter to use his boat to do it. So we'll pick up the story from there. Okay, we're, we're at Luke 5, and um, he says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. That is very stupid thing to be told. He is a fisherman. It is the middle of the day, and you don't go fishing then, and you surely don't go fishing in the deep. So, and Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. Now, this is really important to understand. Jesus just said to Peter, I want you to look like an idiot in front of all your fishing buddies on the beach. I want you to take the nets that you just spent the morning cleaning. I want you to take those nets, go dirty them again, and go out and do something that is impossible to do, that you to go catch fish in the deep. And now, Peter does it. And they get all of these fish, more fish than he'd ever seen in his life, more fish than he ever had. So what do you think Peter does? What do you think Peter's response to this is going to be? You know, if it was, if it was in modern day, they'd be taking a selfie with Jesus and the fish, maybe putting it on Facebook, look what Jesus did, this is great. And uh, Peter would probably say, hey, Jesus, suppose you could come down like, you know, every other week would be great, you know, there's more fish than I ever caught, this is awesome. His response is astonishing. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with them were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And also when James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. That, that's, that's really an astonishing story, isn't it? The best day he ever had as a fisherman, he walked away from it all. Left his boat, left the fish, left everything. And one thing, and it's something that we're really going over in our book on Tuesday night, when you are shown the holiness of God, you realize how you are not. When you are put in the face of God and his holiness, you realize 
that you are unworthy. And it changes everything. You are now under grace, and you are now trying to let this Lord and Savior who saved you know how important your relationship with him is. You know what happens in that situation? Is you stop comparing yourself to other people. You know, Peter didn't say, whew, at least I'm not as bad as some of these other guys, you know, and that's what we always do in the flesh. He realized that no matter how good and how holy he thought he was, he would never be good enough, never clean enough. And uh, my daughter, Megan, was in Michigan. She had a pastor named Tyson Limke who gave this analogy, so I'm, I'm giving credit where credit's due, but I thought it was great. Um, he said, okay, if, if following the law was like the long jump, the world record in the long jump is 29 feet 4 inches. So the guy who jumps 29 feet 4 inches is the best law keeper among people, right? And then there's the rest of us. Some of us could go 2 feet, some could go 10, some could even go 25. But we're all trying to measure up to the, the best guy, right? So God takes him and says, he stands up and says, God, I'm the best law follower of all mankind. God takes him to the edge of the Grand Canyon and says, okay, to get to me, take your leap. Because that is the gap between us and God. No matter how good we think we are, the gap between us and God is insurmountable. And you stop comparing yourself with people when you realize that gap is totally insurmountable. Now, we cannot misunderstand the grace message. The grace message now puts you at war with sin. Before before you get come under grace, you believe that, you know, if, if you don't get caught, then it's not wrong. You believe that, you know, little white lies okay, and you believe it's okay to fudge here and fudge there. Well, once you're under grace, you are now convicted every day. You're convicted of your thoughts. You're convicted of your desires. You're trying, you're trying, and you're fighting this. It's, a, it's, a absolute, it's an absolute battle. So after Peter leaves everything, do you think he now goes skipping down the bunny trail and says, okay, I'm in the grace with Christ, everything's going to be great. We see in the life of Peter a marked ups and downs and ups and downs through, from, the, from his conversion to Christ to the end. He always comes back to Christ, but he's, he's just, he's us, and that's what I love about him. Let's jump ahead to, and I'm going to try to use Mark as much, much I can from here on out because that's Peter speaking to us. Uh, Mark 8, the first time, the first disciple and apostle who came to a conclusion who Jesus was. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Jesus answered, you are the Messiah. Now, that's kind of interesting because all the other gospels say that Jesus responded, this was given to you by God. But when Peter writes it, when Peter, when Peter recites it, he doesn't tell that part. He leaves that part out. And I think he leaves that part out because minutes later, the following happens. He then began to teach them that the son must, that he be in Jesus, the son must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again, he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? Peter grabbed Jesus by the arm. Come over here, Jesus. Um, and starts telling him that you, this can't happen. But then, but when Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. 
he said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Isn't that us? You know, whenever we, we uh, run afoul of Christ, we don't have in mind the things of God. We have in mind human concerns. We always know what's best. We're going to help God out. We're always going to be the ones showing God the way. But there's a lot to be said there. Now, there's a lot of self-effacing here, too, because this is Peter dictating, you know, dictating to Mark and saying, Christ looked at me and said, get behind me, Satan, just minutes after I was doing really well explaining he was the Messiah. So um, what we have next with Peter, and there, there's a lot more, but for time constraints, I want to get some of the big points. Let's advance now to the Last Supper. Last Supper, um, Jesus collects his disciples and apostles around him and says, look, I now have to suffer. I now must be the sacrificial lamb. I have to go and die. Now, Peter, again, speaking from the flesh, let's pick up in Mark 14, chapter 20, I mean, verse 23, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. He just became that long jumper, didn't he? They'll all mess up, not me, Lord. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now, first of all, he's not listening to Jesus. He's not listening to Jesus. And we do that a lot, don't we? You know, I'm going to handle this, Lord, myself. I'm going to go tell that person how I feel because that's the right thing to do. Or I'm going to handle this problem this way because that's the right thing to do. And, and we all many times try to think it's God glorifying when we take it upon ourselves. But when we let Jesus lead, things happen differently. You know, um, and I love this. I will never. I will always. Aren't those things we love to say? You know, let, let me help you out with that. We will never be perfect, and we will always need Jesus for any perfection we have. That is the truth. There's your never, and there's your always. So, okay, now this, this, this part I love. I, I kind of came upon this getting ready for the sermon. So, we had the Last Supper. The soldiers are coming to arrest Jesus. Now, two of the, disciple, two of the gospel writers were there, John and Peter. They were eyewitnesses to this event. So let's first see how John talks about this event. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And look, he said, Simon Peter. So there's no question there. Cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into his sheath. Shall I not drink the cup as the Father has given me? So um, that... Remember, that gospel was written last. John was written last. Mark was written first, dictated by Peter. Let's see how Peter recites this event. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. I, I, I love that. So you can almost see the scene. You know, you know Mark saying, as he's writing down, what happened next? Somebody pulled out a sword and cut off the guy's ear. Um, and then, you know, years later when John's writing his gospel, says, Okay, homeboy, you know, I was there. 
So Simon Peter pulled out his sword, and Peter, Jesus yelled at. So you, you could almost see it happening. And like I say, John was written many years later, so I'm sure John had seen the Gospel of Mark and said, oh, come on. Um, so um, now we know what happens is Peter, Jesus is drug off to the Sanhedrin, outside the Sanhedrin, he's inside having his trial. Jesus, I mean, Peter is outside, right? And Peter's outside. I will never deny you, Lord. We're talking hours later, just hours later. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You are also with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Okay, that's denial one. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began, say, began again to say to the bystanders, this, man, this is one of them. But again he denied it. Number two. But he began to invoke, I love this, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Isn't that what always happens to us? The old fisherman's coming out, isn't he? The old swearing, gruff fisherman. Now he's, he's going to swear his way out of this. I do not know this man of whom you speak. Number three, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now, English does not do the Greek justice here. He was destroyed. I mean, when you read the Greek, he was broken, destroyed, despondent, heart-wrenched, the whole, I mean, you cannot describe the agony he felt. Three days, he's in the upper room, and the last thing he did to his Savior before he died was deny him. After boldly standing in his face and saying, I will never deny you, Lord. All these other losers might, but not me. So, now think about this. Christ had gone to the cross. The entire Bible story is about that event. Everything in the Bible leading up to the cross points to it. Everything from the cross forward points back to it. The cross is the central event of all theology, of everything. It is a point of our salvation. So Christ is risen, right? What do you think the heart of Jesus is towards Peter? Now, I love this too. All these brave fishermen are up in the upper room hiding and crying and weeping. The women went to the tomb. So that's where we pick up the story. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Is that amazing? Everything Christ had done on that cross, he was worried about Peter. He, was, he had the angel, he instructed the angel to tell these ladies to tell Peter it's okay. Tell the disciples. You know, that's everybody who followed him. 
The only person singled out was Peter in this message. And Peter. Because Christ knew what Peter was going through. Christ knew the sorrow he was going through. Christ knew his brokenness. And he wanted Peter to know it was okay. Is that an amazing Savior? Is that a phenomenal Lord we have? At, at this denying fool who deserved to be feeling like he did and from our human perspective, and Jesus wanted him to know it was okay. That's just fascinating, isn't it? Um, now, okay, so Jesus rose. Um, we have Pentecost. You know, we, we went to Pentecost. Everything was going great. Peter's out of the gates doing well, right? Well, not so much. Um, there's a scene in the, in the book of Acts where Peter is being really nice to the Gentiles because he was a Jew, you know, and Jews didn't associate with Gentiles. But when the Jews showed up, when the Jews showed up, um, he would separate himself and act like, I don't know those guys, because the Jews would get mad at him for it. So uh, my hero Paul refers to it in Galatians 2. But when Caiaphas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That's that's Paul. I got in his face because he had stood condemned. And that's another Paul quality. I don't want to hear it. You know, I don't want to hear it. You're condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was seated with the Gentiles. But when they came and he drew back and separated himself for fearing, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by the by their hypocrisy. So we see again, Peter up, Peter down, Peter up, Peter down through his whole life. That, that is what our walk with Christ is like. Our walk with Christ is like that. Then we'll see another scene where Peter stands in front of the Sanhedrin, the very party that sent Jesus to the cross, and say, the Jesus who you crucified is risen and he is our Lord. Well, Peter did finish strong and church tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down. And the reason he was crucified upside down, because he did not think himself with enough dignity or honor to be crucified the way Christ was crucified. So he requested to be crucified upside down, and they're more than happy to accommodate him. Um, now, what do we learn from Peter? Without Christ, we are nothing and have nothing. Do not let Satan point to your unworthiness to separate you from your Lord and Savior. That's what Satan does. How hard do you think Satan was pounding on Peter those three days? You're not worthy. You denied him. You let him down. You betrayed him. You're worthless. And guess what? You know the worst thing about Satan's accusations? They're right. That's the worst thing about him. The only thing that separates you from Satan is you say, well, you know what? You're right, Satan. But he gave me his righteousness. He took my sins. I stand in Christ's shoes before you. Um, you're going to make mistakes in black backslide. You're fallen human. How that will never separate you from your Lord. You are his. Let me give you the last scripture of the day, which is Christ himself talking about us. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. That is amazing. Christ is holding us in his hand. 
you are mine. I am your shepherd, you are my sheep. No one snatches you out of my hand. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm Peter, you're Peter. When we fail, Jesus is telling us to come back. He'll take us through, he will take us through this miserable life we're living. He's the one who put us to war with sin. He's the one who'll carry us through this war with sin. The, the whole issue is staying connected to Jesus. And I pray that we always look to Peter and understand that even a knucklehead like him or even a knucklehead like me can be found worthy in the sight of our Savior. Thank you.